Are you a sheep? No. You're a dragon. Be a dragon. This is for all the girls who grew up without strong geek role models to help them discover their geek dreams. For everyone who's ever been quizzed about their video game knowledge because girls don't play, girls games. Don't play games. Geek Hearing is working to bring female identifying geeks into their prime to be the role models, dreams and voices. Are you ready for this? Welcome to Geek Herring, a critical geek culture podcast where we talk the good and the bad parts of being a chick in a male-dominated environment. I'm Amanda, and with me today is my wonderfully hilarious co-host, Monica. Hi! How's it going, Monica? It's still snowing, so cold in Austria and meh. But other than that, everything's fine. Oh, cool. Um, I'm still in Florida. It's hot, it's sunny, and I'm in a room with absolutely zero air conditioning or airflow right now, so if I pass out... Please call Tom. <laughs> we can do that. And also, maybe I just let you lie there for a second just because you just made me really jealous of the warm weather and stuff. <laughs> You're a true pal. I know. <laughs> Today on Geek Herring, we have our very first guest interview. Today we have Karina from Koi Compositions. Hi, Karina. Hello. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to do this with you guys. Oh, we are so excited to have you. You've been one of our first supporters and one of the people that we've been talking to the most as Geek Caring. So I think it's really lovely that we've been able to have you on. Yes. Can't wait. Woohoo. Are you ready to jump right into our rapid fire round? Sure. Right. Yeah. Take it away, Monica. Yeah, I'm taking <laughs> it away because we at least we prepared you a bit. So basically, I'm starting right away. So... First of all, just give us your name again so that we have an awesome rapid fire round. My name is Karina Pardis. Awesome. Where are you from? I'm originally from Colorado. I currently live in Utah. Nice. Mm -hmm. Utah. Isn't that Mormon city? No. <laughs> kind of. Not as much as it used to be, I don't think. The diversity has grown quite a bit. Nice. Here, which is good, but... Uh, I'm glad Monica asked the question we were all thinking. <laughs> it's really not that bad, guys. It's not. <laughs> Depends on what area of Utah you're in. If you're actually in Salt Lake City, tons of diversity. It's when you get more south towards Provo that it becomes very congested. Yeah, it's like countryside life. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. Geek since? Probably since, well been a music geek since I was five uh, but like a gaming and cultural geek it took me a lot longer to step into those shoes and I'd say probably around 2007 is when I really got into it what made you get into it I was dating my now husband well <laughs> he was already very much into it and it was fun so I joined in better late than never <laughs> Yes. Well, I had like had bits and pieces of it. I just hadn't been completely like fully dunked or steeped into all of it. Like I played video games a little bit here and there when I was a kid, but I was not really a gamer. Like my parents didn't speak against it. There were just so many other things to do besides video games. Um, 
and we played board games as a family, but it was never just the one thing that we did. We were more outdoorsy. We were, you know, on water skis or snow skis or hiking as often as we could, but we also did, my sisters all did sports. I did marching band. I mean, there was just so many other things to do that it wasn't until I was more towards adulthood that I was like, hey, there's more to it than the like tiny toe dipping that I've been doing. I want to get more into this. Awesome. So then what's your biggest influence in when it becoming a geek? Definitely my husband for sure. But also there's been a lot of friends that have been really great getting me into board games that are not as well known. And that's been really fun. Um, we love board gaming. We love video games. Dungeons and Dragons is probably the biggest influence in my geek life right now. Pretty cool. I've always wanted to get into that. I've got a neighbor that's obsessed with Dungeons and Dragons and he has no one to play with. So when we get home from traveling, that's what we might be doing, starting our own little campaign. Oh, you should definitely do it. It is so fun. It really is one of the best things ever when you're able to get a group of adults together and just play make-believe for hours. Because that's really all it is. And there's lots of different editions or processes of it or whatever. Basically, just the rule groups are different from thing to thing. Um, I've played D&D 3.5, and I've played D&D 5. And then I've also played Pathfinder, and they, um, I'm currently playing the beta of Pathfinder 2. So there's just lots of different ways to do it, but the gist of it is get together and just play pretend. <laughs> I mean, and that sounds perfect. Yeah, it's fantastic. It'll probably take me like five hours to finish a game just because it takes me a while to come up with stuff in my head. <laughs> so maybe that's not my game then. Oh, no, like, it's okay. Like, sometimes you can take that time. It doesn't have to be spitfire right away. Sometimes it does, but not in every situation. And you're playing with a group of people, so everybody, you kind of just collaborate and brainstorm and bounce ideas back and forth. And sometimes they're really great ideas, and sometimes they're really awful, terrible ideas, but you do it anyways, and you live with it. And it's fine because it doesn't actually hurt real life but there are in-game consequences. And so sometimes it's fun. Like I have, I have a friend who constantly plays characters who go completely against who he really is as a person because he wants to see what kind of consequences would occur if he, you know, did these things that he would never do in real life. He's like, but I get to experience it in a game and be like, oh, that's what would happen. Yeah, I'm glad I don't do that, you know. <laughs> but at least I get to live vicariously through my D&D character or whatever the case may be. It's just a great way to experience life differently than you would ever be able to otherwise. I tried that with Sims when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> similar. Not quite the same, but similar. <laughs> more more companionable like with more people is more fun than alone in front of the computer making your same civil war <laughs> yeah and and you have more people to laugh with um yeah. i guess there's definitely times when it goes terribly wrong but everyone was there together doing it wrong <laughs> and just laugh about it and like they one of the most interesting things to me about dungeons and dragons in whatever form you play it in is how real it becomes like when we play this game, we're playing a game and we know we're playing a game, but after we're done with the game, we're telling stories and like remembering what we did in the game as if it really happened. And these stories right. become like a real thing that 
that means something to us, whether it be um, a friend in the campaign who died and how traumatic that was, and it can help you like really overcome you know, any grief problems that you have in real life because your friend is still alive and well with you just the character that they were playing died, and that can be a really hard thing. Or it can be, you know, how you overcame a really hard thing, or just the character development that you allow yourself to have in this game allows you to become more vulnerable as a person in real life, because we're constantly developing as people in real life. D&D, for me, has been a way to help me recognize when I'm not allowing myself to continue to develop as a person, because I fight that battle with my character with my friends because you really trust each other and anyway so there's just really great things that can come from it if you allow it to be that it can also be completely goofy and whatever the heck just happened i don't know but let's just never do that again kind of thing and it goes back and forth that was the most beautiful description i ever heard of D. &D. <laughs> <laughs> like if i didn't already want to play i want to play yeah. after that description <laughs> <laughs> for sure. I'm like, where do I get the people for this now? Yeah, just, <laughs> just find to know the find people that you're already friends with. That's like probably my number one advice. Find people that you're already friends with who don't mind getting into it. And it doesn't have to be super formal. Like you don't have to play for a specific amount of time every single week. Um, find whatever schedule works for everyone and just go with it. Make sure that you're talking to each other so that you don't burn each other out. But being friends first is extremely helpful because you're already comfortable with each other. And if you're playing the game right and communicating openly and honestly with everyone and not taking everything that happens in the game personally, because there's your characters are not you. So <laughs> if you get in a fight with each other as characters, don't let that carry over into your personal life. Like it just toxic things happen when when you let that happen. So just don't do that. And as long as you're doing that, then you become closer friends. It can definitely push people away if they're not allowing things like that to happen but it's definitely preventable nice um, be really oh, great. i love i love that description <laughs> but then basically just ruled out our current kiki pastimes question because i assume that's it then we play D, &D every other week um every other sunday we have some friends come over and do that um nice. like i said video games play video games play a lot of board games you can see a lot of them behind me i don't know if you can see that oh nice yeah like, there are quite a few like, listeners you know, still a huge music geek, geek out to music all the time. Yeah, that's probably those are probably the main pillars. That's a nice foundation. Indulge in. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so too. So after that glowing review of Dungeon Dungeons and Dragons, it might surprise our listeners to hear that we haven't actually brought you on to talk about Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> no, that was kind of a side thing, guys. Side quest. But I loved it. <laughs> we should do that too sometime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Karina, what is the geeky thing that we thought you want to talk about today? My geeky business is I am a composer for video games and podcasts and brand audio and other things. Brand audio isn't too geeky, but writing music for video games and being a female in a male-dominated culture and industry and just what that means. <laughs> <laughs> We're so excited to get into this with you. Oh yeah, oh yeah. What is it that you love about being a music composer? Probably the biggest thing is just music has this amazing power to speak to every single person individually through their emotions. And so as a composer, I am helping people not only feel emotions, but also recognize them and connect them to things that are happening in the real world. And um, 
our brains don't know how to translate emotions into words, really. We have words for them, but if we say love, that doesn't necessarily mean what we feel. Like, it's so hard to put things like that into words, but music can put that into feelings that you understand completely, and each person can understand that. And so I love being able to help people understand themselves and the situations that they're in and understand each other person to person more through the connections that they make through the emotions that they feel in music. So that's probably like the biggest thing that I love. I, I'm a huge rhythm person. Like I've, I've been playing piano since I was three. So that's wow. for over 28 years. Um, I'm also a percussionist. Um, I've been doing that for over 15 years. So I love rhythm. I love classical music. I was a professional classical pianist for um, a number of years. I've taught piano lessons for over 12 years. And so I've performed, I've taught, and then um, I had an injury. So my, my shoulder got injured. And so I couldn't continue. I mean, I probably could have continued my professional piano playing, but it would have been not as worth it. It, w it could have caused more injury. Um, and so I decided to step back from that and was like, I need something else. Like, I still need this music outlet. What can I do? And my husband's like, you're writing music all the time. Why don't you just do that? I'm like, Shh, no, <laughs> not like me. Like, yeah, I write like little things. And he's like, Karina, the last piano piece that you wrote was four minutes long. That's a long piece of music. I was like, well, yeah, but like, it's just for me. And he's like, Karina, stop. Just stand up and do it because I know that you want to do it. I was like, okay, but I was really scared to like step out of what I had been used to doing in music. But I had always wanted to write music ever since I probably when I was uh, eight or nine years old is when I remember being like, I want to be a musician. And it was because of Alan Menken, who is an amazing composer. He's written music for majority of Disney movies. Like if you love a Disney movie, it's probably Alan Menken. Uh, you know, The Little Mermaid, Tangled, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Beauty and the Beast though is what got me. And it wasn't even any of the songs that people really know. It, it was the score that was behind the scene when the beast is fighting the wolves off. And there was um, four chords that just are the horns and it's dissonant and which means that the notes kind of clash. They don't sound harmonious and lovely. And they're just brazen and brash and loud and ugly. And I loved them. And I was like, that is the coolest thing I have ever heard. And I want to do that. So that's what I've started doing. Just trying to transform what people are experiencing through the music that they're listening to. Amazing. You gave me chills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just like yesterday I saw the trailer of the uh, uh, Beauty and the Beast movie and they had exactly that wolf scene there and I was like I know what you're talking about <laughs> yeah it is I, I still get the same emotion every single time I listen to it and so it's, it's good stuff yeah you know when a music scene or something can impact you the same way 20 30 years later that it's still that it's just one of those transcendental moments mm-hmm I thought music does it really well to transport you back where, to the situation where you've been at. Like, mm -hmm. I still can't listen to an album of Sarah Bareilles just because 
I related to a boy ex-boyfriend of mine and I'm really sad about this because whenever I hear the songs I'm like no <laughs> I don't want to remember this I want to listen to the song but it's not working <laughs> I have yeah. a few of those songs too <laughs> music and memory there's been a lot of psychological studies about it and it is fascinating like just how music and then the other big one is smell so I was just going to say <laughs> music and smell are two of the biggest things that are connected to our memories and being able to help us remember things and they're actually trying to use music and smell in some new um, experimental treatments of people with dementia and other memory loss problems because they're trying to help them remember right and figure out how can we improve memory functions uh, with these terrible diseases and some really cool things that are happening with it none of it is permanent or long-lasting yet but there's been like 80 year old women who they hear a song and they start doing a dance that they learned when they were in high school you know and there was a video going around facebook a while ago um but it's still one of the coolest things where there was a man who couldn't remember anything, but they brought a piano and to him and had a couple people start playing this jazz piece. And he just started playing the piano and he knew every part of it. Like he was jamming out to this tune that he loved to play when he was younger. And it's just a really neat thing that music can transport us to places like that. Music is also really good at transporting us into futuristic scenarios that we haven't yet experienced it's kind of funny the music for star wars was very futuristic when it happened but now when we listen to the like you know that alone all of a sudden will take all of us from that generation when that happened back so we're going both backwards and forwards at the same time and while basically i mean you told us already a tiny bit of how you started but Maybe you have more story about how you actually started with what you're doing right now? Uh, sure. So I told you why I wanted to start. So I started trying to get involved in video game groups and things because I just wanted to get into the culture of the industry because I was already in the culture as a consumer, but I was not in the culture as a creator. And so just trying to do that going to seminars, um, talking to people who are currently doing it. And I got a lot of the same response, which was, that's awesome that you're here, but we don't know how to help you. <laughs> like, it's really just a lot of, I was in the right place at the right time, and so I got this awesome gig, and now I'm super awesome AAA video game composer, right? Like, good luck. <laughs> keep talking to people and keep making music, and I guess you'll get there one day. Thanks so it's not extremely helpful, right? Yeah. <laughs> but there were a few people who really started encouraging me. Um, Chance Thomas, who is a composer um, for lots of things, most notably uh, he did the Lord of the Rings online music um, and he's currently doing the Dota 2 music and he has his studio right here in Salt Lake City so really close to me oh, that's um, and so I started talking to him and he again was like I was in the right place at the right time but here's some things that you know you want to make sure that you're doing so he started helping me see what areas can I start going into who should I start talking to? And he's like, you just never know when someone is going to have an idea that you support 
and when that idea gets big. He's like, so, you know, manage your resources, manage your energy levels, manage your time, make sure that you're getting your money's worth for what you're doing, but look out for what is happening and the new things that are coming up. So I started getting into game jams a lot. Uh, for people who don't know what a game jam is, generally um, it's a group of people that get together for um, the, ga the, the jam is usually 24 to 48 hours long and you have, you know, some of them last up to a month, you know, but just depending on the jam, majority of them are 48 hours where you get in a group and you have 48 hours to create a game from beginning to end. You know, and it can be just like one level of a game. It doesn't have to be fully fleshed out or whatever, but you're just creating as much as you can within that time limit to make something playable. It's really cool. It's really intense. Ideas are going all over the place, going wild and crazy. But then at the end of 48 hours, actually it's probably around more like 42, that everyone is like, okay, what do we have that's actually like renderable? <laughs> <laughs> what can we start rendering for the next five hours that we actually have something that we can present at the end of this jam? And so you learn how to prioritize. You learn how to communicate really well. Especially, I do a lot of mine through Discord. I'm not in person in a lot of those jams, which is not as fun, but it's still great that you can be included and you know participate in a wonderful way through those things. So that's how I got my first published video game title was through Game Jam where the group afterwards was like, you know what? We really like this game. Should we just like keep going until we can publish it on itch.io? And we're like, sure. And that was like the coolest thing ever. I'm like, I have a published title. I was like dancing and singing around my house like all day long. And I called my parents and I told them, they're like, that's amazing. What does that mean? <laughs> I'm like, oh, it means that like my name is in the credits of a video game that people can actually download and for reals play in their real life. And they're like, awesome. How much money are you getting from it? I'm like, nothing, because we put the game up for free. But that doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> I have something that I can start building on now. Like, this is the coolest thing ever. And in my searching and talking to people, just trying to find people that need music, but that are also willing to pay for it, because that is a big problem. There's tons of indie devs out there who are like, yes, I need music. Um, can I pay you if the game gets big? And I'm like, well, for what you're asking me, no, because you're asking me for something that would, you know, cost thousands of dollars to me personally, so no. But finding that balance, um, game jams, everybody does it for free, which is why it's really great and it's a collaborative experience and that's why I love them. But as I was talking to all these different people, I kept running into people who are like, oh, I need music for a podcast. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then I want to talk to them about it again. It was really stupid, <laughs> uh, stupid of me. Um, and I kept finding these people who are like, yeah, podcast, podcast, podcast. I'm like, I guess podcasts are kind of a big thing now. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and then I was like, well, I guess I could write music for podcasts while I'm waiting to like make it big as a video game composer or whatever. And I'm so glad that I did because podcast music has been extremely fun and fulfilling and really great. And it's very similar to video game music, not necessarily in the medium because our listeners right now can't actively participate and change what they're doing and what's going on. But a podcast is all about a journey of a subject, right? You're taking this journey on this one subject and you're following it through. And this journey has a, def a definitive message that it's trying to send to the people involved in it. Video games are the exact same. It's all about a journey, whether it be the journey of a character or a storyline or um, an event 
or whatever it is, it always has a definitive message and that message can range over a lot of different things. Um, but music is one of the fastest ways to get that message across to people because we translate the purpose of things through our emotions. Music is all about creating and translating emotions. And so if you want someone to feel something and have a connection with something or someone, the fastest way to do that outside of like really traumatic war pictures and imagery is music. And most podcasts and businesses are not geared towards talking about traumatic war events. <laughs> so that's probably not a very good move for most people to make in what they're doing. It can apply, but music is the fastest way to get an emotion through to someone because we, our brains are able to translate that emotion that they feel through music in less than three seconds. They know that it happens faster than that, but they haven't been able to actually measure how fast it happens. They just know it's less than three seconds. Um, so it's a really cool thing. Our brains are so awesome. I've been able to start writing music for people's podcasts where they're talking about overcoming their PTSD in the army through sculpture and where they're talking about their journey of creating a toxic free life because of autoimmune disease that they have. And they're trying to help um, encourage other people that it's not hopeless, that you can live a pain free life through that, you know, and I've done it with people who love dogs and are just trying to connect to other people who love dogs. And you know, there's just so many different things and being able to translate those journeys into a one minute piece of music for an intro and an outro has been really, really cool thing. So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm kind of between both of those worlds, but I find they're very, they're a lot more complimentary than I originally thought that they were. Awesome. That sounds amazing. Like it must be so much fun to be able to really talk and, and talk to other podcasters and, find out what emotions they want to convey and then figuring out how to convey that through music. Like it sounds so fascinating being able to do that. It's fun. It is a challenge, but that's why it's fun because yeah. everyone has their own like emotional spectrum of what they want to bring to their show or their video game or whatever it may be. A lot of people are like, well, I want it to be fun. I'm like, cool. So fun, like a tickle fight or fun, like playing a board game or fun, like going on a walk outside or fun, like playing with your dog. Like there's lots of different <laughs> ways to interpret fun. Like there's lots of different kinds of fun. There's lots of different kinds of empowering and uplifting. There's lots of different levels to all of these emotions. And so really like getting down to what they want it to be. It's like, well, I want it to be fun. Like it's accessible to them and they can be triumphant in that thing. I'm like, that is a cool emotion that people can really connect to. Let's go with that. Just talking about, you know, how deep are we going to get and how deep do you want to get with your listeners? That's where I always start. That's my baseline for any project that I'm doing, even with video games. It's like, well, what do you want the audience to feel as soon as they push play? And it's really cool to hear people's stories come out through that. You have to be really empathetic to be able to also trans transfer all of that. Like you have to communicate with your clients to get to a point where you then can create the music that you've talked about. It's mesmerizing and also kind of exhausting or it sounds exhausting. <laughs> it can be. It can be exhausting. Any creative work uh, requires you to manage yourself in order to create like you mm -hmm. need to manage for creativity because everything takes up energy 
And when you are creating something, you are creating energy, which uses up a lot of the energy that you currently have. You're just transferring it into a different medium. Um, and so when you have a lot of other things that are going on, which everybody does, you know, you can't focus your energy just on one thing every single day. As amazing as that could be one time, <laughs> just doesn't work very well. Uh, you know, eating takes up energy, gives you energy, but again, transferring energy, you know, needing to get up and make myself food when I'm really like in the zone of composing music is sometimes the most annoying thing ever. I'll text my husband, I'm being like, I don't want to eat right now. I'm, I'm mad that I need to eat food to stay healthy. <laughs> but I know if I don't eat food, then I'm not going to have enough energy to continue creating. Mm -hmm. right? So you need to continually manage yourself for that creative process. So it can be exhausting, but as long as you're aware of where you're at and and what your energy levels are and um, labeling different activities and decisions as either energy filling or energy depleting can be really helpful mm -hmm. so that you can go back and forth between them so that it's not deplete, 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 deplete. Oh crap, I need to fill up my energy again. How can I do that? I'm already so depleted. Like if doing dishes energizes you, good for you. It does not energize me. So that's like one of my depleting things. So I'll like sandwich it in between things that energize me, like reading a book or coloring or hand laboring, um, journaling, you know, things that do give me energy. Mm -hmm. And then you build up and are able to stagger things throughout the day to help manage for the creativity that you're trying to put out there all the time that's also a self-help lesson from you <laughs> that i really need <laughs> so you've kind of touched on it karina um what does a normal day in your life as a an at-home music composer look like uh well it's very hectic i have three kids <laughs> um so <laughs> sorry <laughs> Monica saying what, how she really feels. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Um, Because you just told I, me about managing energy levels and then she drops the bomb. I have <laughs> no, I'm not saying it's easy and I'm not saying I'm perfect at it. Uh, I usually get woken up by my kids. I'm trying to like get better at waking up before them. Um, that is just a really hard thing for me. And so I'm woken up by them and then I have... My first two hours of the day is trying to get my daughter ready for school and getting them breakfast and managing their energy because kids wake up with all of their energy refilled no matter what, no matter how bad or good they slept, no matter how long they slept or how short, it is refilled to the max and it is always way more than my energy. Um, I'm kind of managing their energy at the beginning um, and then I have to refill mine. And so as soon as they are settled, I go into my energy saving mode, which usually is reading. It's an easy thing that I can do and be interrupted by because they'll still interrupt a lot at the beginning, especially that is okay for me to get into and out of. And so that, that helps a lot. Um, also small forms of exercise can help. Um, especially with kids, my kids love copying my exercise routines and it is hilarious. Okay. So I had a six year old, <laughs> girl and then I have two boys that are four and two and watching them try to imitate my kickboxing or my yoga or whatever it is that I'm doing 
is one of the funniest things ever. Like <laughs> moms and dads at home, if you feel like you can't exercise just because you have kids, like don't feel that way. Like involve them. It can be a little annoying sometimes, like when you're trying to I don't know. Whenever I lay on my back, either to do sit-ups or whatever move that involves me on my back, my two-year-old thinks I'm a bench and comes and sits on my stomach every single time. Um, whenever I prop myself up to do like a plank or downward-facing dog or whatever, they think it's funny to climb underneath me. Um, so it can like they just are increasing the difficulty level, right? That's all that is. But when I use weights, they always want to use my weights, and that's not safe. No. Even though they can lift them, their muscles are not developed to a point of maturity where they can use weights. So I just go and I get them toys from their toy room to like use as their weights, like a toy screwdriver or a drumstick. Or um, my my four year old son thinks that the toy lightsabers that we have in their condensed form are his weights for working out. Nice. Um, it works. It, it's something that his body can handle. And they sit there and they're like, yeah, I'm so strong, mom. I'm like, yes, you are. You are so strong. <laughs> Anyways, exercise can be a really great thing for that. So can meditation. Meditation does not always work well when you have rambunctious kids running around everywhere. Again, they just increase the difficulty level, but (laughs) find the space and time that works for you, whatever your situation is. I don't have like a set schedule in my day just because I have like basic structure of morning, afternoon, and night. And that is how I structure my day because having an hour to hour type thing just doesn't work with three kids because they're constantly changing everything. And I am the kind of person where if I didn't get it done in the time limit that I said I would, I feel extremely guilty. And guilt is an energy drainer galore. Not putting myself in a position where I will feel guilty helps me manage my energy and manage my productivity um, and my joy levels, just plain being happy with my life, guilt goes against that. So morning is usually kid time and reading time. And then afternoon after lunch is when for nap time. And that's when I like try to have my productivity time. That can be writing out new melodies. It can be writing out music sketches for clients. It can be editing music. It can be Learning and continued education, I think, is really important. So I do a lot of YouTube videos. I do a lot of edx.org, a lot of Coursera, whenever I can. I probably do too much of it because I'm never able to finish over half of what I do with those things. (laughs) But I love them. I keep trying. Um, It can also be reading books in my industry, um, which is not always pleasure reading because it takes (laughs) – sometimes it tires you out when you're trying to learn things through those kinds of books. And so that's like my learning and productive time. Um, I try to do housework not during that time. Sometimes I need to, you know, because I still have a house and a family. And, you know, we actually need to live somewhat reasonably most of the time. <laughs> but for the most part, the afternoon is like my me time. my get, get my stuff done that I'm excited to do. Um, and then the night time is... As much as possible, family time. Sometimes I'll still do some work during the evening um, if we're not doing anything else. But we try as often as possible to have a family dinner every night where all of us are at the table. That doesn't always happen with the things that my husband's doing or that I'm doing. And as my kids get older, it's going to be harder to get them to do that. But as much as possible, when we can, uh, that's what we do. And then we have our downtime where 
we'll read books together as a family. Um, sometimes we sometimes we are each reading our own individual books. Sometimes we read books together as a family. Last year, we read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings series through as a family out loud with our kids. Like we put them on the couch and read Life. until they fell asleep on the couch. <laughs> and they didn't always understand everything that was happening. Um, but they really got into the characters like, mom, where's Sam? Why, why haven't we heard from Mary and Pippin? Like, what are they doing? Why are we still talking about, you know, Frodo or whatever, you know, it's just really funny. Number one movie that my four-year-old son requests is Lord of the Rings. Like, they love Good it. Good choice. Like, uh, yeah, it's a great choice. And it's a pretty heavy choice for a four-year-old. Pretty <laughs> heavy choice for a four-year-old. But so sometimes we read those books together as a family. Um, we've read C.S. Lewis books together. Um, we're about to start reading Harry Potter together with yes. our kids. Um, <laughs> Sorry. So, you know, Happened. working on it. I had to get them back from my sister. My sister stole all of my books <laughs> when I moved out of the house. I had to, like, re-accrue them. Sometimes it's us all playing different video games together. Um, one of my favorite things to do with my husband is he'll play a video game and I'll read a book out loud with him while he's playing a game that he's already played before. And also just finding family time in whatever way it works for you. Sometimes we play games together as a family. Sometimes we don't do anything together as a family because we all just need our space. Mm, yeah. And so we each go into our own little room and have fun in our own little world until it's time for bed. But that's, you know, generic morning, afternoon, night rituals of what we try to achieve on a somewhat day-to-day -day basis. <laughs> flexibility needs to be outlined sometimes. Like you can manage for flexibility. Cool, well, thank you for that really uh, nice insight into your day-to-day -day life. I love how much emphasis you have on your family. Family culture is something that does get overlooked a lot because there's so many other cultures that are, are amazing, they're not bad. Um, I mean, geek culture, right? That's what we're here talking about is a really great thing. And but as long as family is not toxic and as long as it can be created to be not toxic, then I think that that is one of the greatest foundations for belonging um, and identity and just safety, just general safety, emotional, physical, mental, whatever type of safety you need. And I was really blessed with a great family that that had that um you know there's always things that you want to change about your family and everything but um overall we had a lot of that and my mom was a working mom she owned her own business it was called virtual realities by janae coy and she was an artist um still is an artist but she doesn't have her business anymore where <clears throat> anything you want to paint it on in your walls she could do it right murals faux finishing antiquing, whatever you want the inside of your house to look like, she could paint it to look like that. She was amazing. And I knew that she loved doing it. And that was her creative outlet, one of many, but that was something that she loved to do. Um, and so she and my dad sat together and figured out how could she do it. But that never took away from our time with her. Mm -hmm. Like she did a really great job. Like it was really interesting. Like a lot of people who are just like, you know, the whole argument about whether or not women belong in the workforce or whether or not they belong at home or whatever it was. I never really understood that argument because my mom did both. 
Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand why women couldn't just do both. And now maybe in some fields, that's not always completely possible. And to each their own, everyone can make their own choices. But I saw my mom grow a really thriving business that she loved and she loved to do. And it was very successful. And I also saw her be a wonderful mom at home, very successful at home, very involved in our lives. I never really felt like she missed anything that I was that I cared about growing up because of her business. Right. I mean, it was just you were able to do both. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's something that I really want to build for my family, too, where my kids can see how I'm doing, you know, I'm pursuing the path that I want to create in my own life, but I'm also bringing them with me. Like it doesn't have to be exclusive. And I think that also ties into what you said before, that there are a lot of cultures and you marry like the gig culture with your family culture, (laughs) like a pro. (laughs) So it doesn't always have to be separate. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, even our kids, like my kids don't play D&D. They're not quite to a point where we think that they're very old enough to do that yet. But they want to. They want Mm -hmm. to play D&D with us all the time. And so there are times at dinner where we don't like get maps out and we don't have rules or anything. My husband will just be like, we want to play D&D. And my husband's like, okay, there's an ogre in front of you. What do you do? Oh, well, I do this and I do that. And Ryan's like, I punch it in the face. And then my daughter's like, I'm going to, you know, turn into a dragon. It's like, awesome, you're a dragon. Now what are you doing? Well, I'm flying. And my son's like, oh, I'm going to chase after her on my magic broom. It's like, okay, you're both flying. Away from the ogre you were fighting, but that doesn't matter. You're flying. What do you do now? And They love the storytelling aspect. They love the choices that they can make. There's no boundaries. You know, they can have that. And and it's fun to have that with them. That is really awesome. So you brought up an interesting point about when you were talking with your, your mother about how so many people have this, like, women can't do both. Women can't be in business and run a family. And obviously, in your experience, you know, it's not the case. And in so many people's experience, it's not the case. Like, a, a woman can be a businesswoman, a woman can be a fantastic mom, a woman can be anything she freaking well wants to be. So when it comes to music composition, what is the ratio of men to women in your field? Do you know, do you, or any kind of insight that you can uh, give us? The most recent surveys that I think are out that I've seen are from 2016. They always tend to run a few years late because mm-hmm. of data analysis scenarios and all that jazz and survey respondents and whatnot. But as of 2016, in video games total, not just audio, but in video game development, 22% were women. And in audio, it ranges, depending on the survey that you look at, it ranges from 5% of women in game audio to 10.4% women in game audio. Um, And that tends to be the 5%, I think, leans more towards like the AAA game industry. Um, And 10.4 is women who receive any salary of any kind um, in indie development or just as a freelancer, not specifically in a studio, but it's it's a pretty huge gap. And even within that percentage of how few women are there in all of the gaming industry, um, GameSoundCon actually did an analysis on the gaming industry survey in 2016 about the pay differentiation between men and women. It came back that the difference between pay and a woman, no matter how long they had been in the industry, 
seem to range over um, 2.1 years of experience, which means that we were we are paid as if we've had two years less experience than men, no matter how long we've been in the industry. And that's pretty constant from beginning to, you know, as big as it gets in the industry. And so that's the general pay gap, according wow. to experience. Um, and the longer, the more experience you have, the more you can get paid in this industry. It's pretty upscale on that. It's pretty drastic. And there are a lot of people who are trying to help remedy that. Um, I do want to say that in game development, 76% of game developers are white. So it's not mm -hmm. just a gender yeah. disparity. It's also a racial disparity. Having diversification of all kinds is so important. And we're starting to see more of that portrayed in the games themselves. Mm. A lot of the actual video games that are being created are showing more diversity, both racial and gender. But it's not being mirrored completely in the actual business industry itself of the gaming development industry where the, the people creating it don't actually match that same diversification. Mm. So it's really, really interesting thing. It is so low and there are some women who are amazing who've been able to show us that it can be done, which is great. Mm. Uh, and they, there's not that many of them, but there are more now than there ever has been, which is amazing. In 2014, I think um, the percentage was 7% of women in game audio. Um, and so that's up to as high as 10%, which is an improvement. But there's just a lot more improvement that can be done. <laughs> but women like Panka Kuniva, who was the um, composer for Prince of Persia video game. Mm -hmm. That game um, has amazing music. So good. So good. Um, and Winifred Phillips is an amazing composer. She um, composed the music for Assassin's Creed 3. You have these women, and it's not just composers. There's also, it's easier to talk about it in film and TV standards, but you also have post-production where, you know, all of the mixing and editing happens. Mm -hmm. And there's an article that was really interesting where it was called The Problem with Women in Audio. And it was a male author who was talking about other people's problems with women in audio. And he's like, if you have a problem with this, then don't watch Game of Thrones because the person who mixed all of the audio for Game of Thrones is a woman. Um, her name is Annalise Blank. If you don't like it, stop watching Star Wars because Leslie Ann Jones is, you know, multi-awarded for her sound and audio work um, and her mixing and post-production work so stop watching Star Wars you know I mean, just all of these things there's so many people that are doing great things they're just not getting as much recognition in the actual culture like I think in the industry people know who they are if they actually look for who they are you know it can be easy to find out but just the general consumers don't know like it was a huge shock to people when they found out that the uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild game was composed by a woman. People just didn't know. They're like, they, I, I had people tell me, they're like, no, it wasn't. I'm like, yes, it was. Like, but a woman can't write music like that. Like, oh, why not? Wow. There's not, a, there's not a genetic 
you know, gene system that says music can only be written like this by a woman and like this by a man. Like, there's no scale like that. But it was, like, really good. I'm like, okay, like, I know that you are used to, like, you know, the old Legend of Zelda games were written by a man, but this new one was written by a woman, and she killed it, you know, and just things like that. Um, I think people are just so used to seeing men in that position that it's really shocking to see, oh, a woman was filling that seat, really? (laughs) So it was just kind of a hard Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you. It's just because I always get so angry (laughs) when I'm like, I really don't understand why this thing should be something that only men can do. Like, Mm -hmm. what has anything to do with anything? Why is that something... Do women hear differently? No. Do women do (laughs) move their fingers differently than men? No. Are women empathetic more or less than men? Sometimes maybe more empathetic than men. Hey, so I'm like, <laughs> why should women not be able to create something like this? And then I'm like, there is no reason or rhyme behind your argumentation. So why <laughs> the fuck do you say such crap? <sighs> Sorry. Yeah. No, I no. It's it's a very emotionally charged conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am aware. I am in the middle of this conversation yeah. every time I step into my job. It's really interesting because soundgirls.org is an organization that is trying to help bridge the gap between men composers and women composers, which is really great because it's not just, um, I mean, there's a lot of really wonderful organizations that are pulling just for women. Um, there's the Alliance for Women Film Composers. Uh, that is doing really great work trying to bring, you know, they're, they're right now they're really focusing on helping women get big contracts. Um, I went to, uh, side note, I went to the Sundance Film Festival. They had this year, the Alliance of Women for Women Film Composers had a panel that I went to, a panel and luncheon. And one of the speakers, uh, Lolita, who is current president of that organization was talking about how men are viewed for their potential and women are viewed by their experience. So someone will look at a man and, and I think that this is pretty general, um, not just in entertainment audio, but they'll look at the man and say, yes, you have great potential. You can do this. We'll hire you because we believe that you can do this. Right. But then they'll look at the woman who has the same potential, but they don't perceive the woman by that potential they perceive her by her experience and say oh sorry you're not experienced enough for this position right so a lot of it is just the bias of what we think uh, of how we view someone because if you look at them and you say look at this man and look at this woman and tell me what their potential is their potential is the same Mm. right Mm. we have equal potential you know, the only thing that's different are the opportunities given to us based on that potential. And almost always, women are given less opportunities based off of potential because that is not how people are measuring our capabilities. Alliance for Women Film Composers is doing great things. Um, so are Women in Game Jobs and Women in, um, Women in Gamers International is another one that is really, really great. Um, Women's Audio Mission is fantastic. They're a nonprofit based in San Francisco and they do a lot of really great things. Like everyone should definitely go to their webpage right now. Okay, <laughs> after you're done with this, go to um, <laughs> Women's Audio Mission 
and just read what they have to say because it's really, really cool. Um, soundgirls.org, going back to them, they are also doing really cool things, but they're working to try to help not just women get more recognition, but also help men to recognize more women, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, it's not focused on just helping empower the women, which women are empowered, ladies. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> we don't really need to be empowered because we already are. We just need people to recognize what we can do with that empowerment. Mm -hmm. Women just need to keep doing what they're doing. We just need help to do it. Um, and men need help to do what they do too, right? Yeah. No one lives in a bubble. Yeah. No one lives alone. Um, if we could live this life by ourselves, then I think that we would each have our own individualized planet where we would live on it alone and get whatever we need to do done, and that would be the end of life, right? That's not the purpose of life. Life is meant to be shared and work yeah. with together. We need each other on both sides of it, and we can be allies to men in what they are doing mm -hmm. without putting ourselves down with what we want to have happen, and the same thing can happen where men can be allies to women without putting down their values and what they're working towards, and our goals are very common in a lot of places, mm -hmm. So, but soundgirls.org, they have a lot of tutorials and ways for women to learn jargon of audio and computer programming and things like that for what is needed for games in the entertainment field right now. Because I find that a lot of times, like when I first started trying to get into actual video games, I knew all of the music lingo, but I didn't know a lot of the actual like technical stuff mm. for video games. And I was looked down on because of that. Mm -hmm. I was not viewed as professional because I just didn't know what a word meant. Right. Like, or I didn't know how to describe EQ balance, which for anyone who's curious is basically the equalizer of the sound so that you don't have something really loud versus really soft and going up, down, up, down. You know, you don't want your sound to spike like that. Sorry, that's yeah, going to make your head hard for this podcast now. But It's okay. You know, Monica and I are really familiar with that because she's really loud and I'm not. So. I'm sorry. So, so I didn't know how to describe that or explain myself in that regard very well. It was really hard to find people who were willing to talk to me in a way that I could understand it. They just wanted to talk the jargon and the lingo. Uh, and it was almost as if you didn't know that, then you're not really one of us. Mm. But it's like, how am I supposed to become one of you if you're not teaching me what that means? Mm. Uh, so soundgirls.com does a lot of that. They also um, they have a section about how to improve the situation that we find ourselves in with the disparity in gender. And I think it could also apply very much to the disparity in uh, the racial diversity as well. And the three things that they talk about, the three main categories, is collaboration, perspective, and changing environments. So collaboration, we need to work together. Mm -hmm. It won't get fixed if no one is willing to work together. Mm -hmm. I need to be willing to work with men. Men need to be willing to work with me. Women need to be willing to work with women. Men who are uh, supportive of diversity need to be willing to work with men who are not supportive of diversity so that we can help each other and, and bring that gap closer and closer together. And that can be either with projects, actual work that you get paid for. It can be just in conversation. Collaborating in conversation, honestly, is one of the most important ways that change can occur. Because that means that you're not yelling at each other. It means that you're not arguing about it the entire time. And it means that I'm not trying to change your mind. It means that we're trying to work together to understand mm -hmm. each other better. Yeah. That is the main goal. It's just understanding. 
And that goes a long way. People want to feel understood. Mm. People want to feel validated. They want to feel like people get where they're coming from. And so when you try to do that, big things can happen. And that can't happen by saying, I need this and I need this and you're not doing this and you're Mm. not letting me do this and things like that's not how that understanding occurs. Understanding occurs by listening actively without coming up with a rebuttal to that thing and just being willing to see where they're coming from. So that's the first thing. The second thing is perspective, uh, which we kind of already talked about a little bit, just how we need to see each other for equal value. We we can't let the bias of what we already have of what a woman can or can't do or should or should not do, or what a man can and cannot do or should Mm -hmm. not, should not do. We can't let that get in the way. We need to be open to uh, perceiving someone for their potential. Mm. And, you know, exercising faith in them a little bit and saying, you know, I'm going to give you this chance and I will help you. I'm not going to give it to you hoping that you'll fail. That doesn't do anything. Uh, We need to make sure that we are allowing our viewpoint and recognizing that we each have our own viewpoint, like even me and, and even us about ourselves. Like, I know I can do this and I really want to do it. There was a conversation that I had with my husband a few months ago. Um, where I was really upset because I had been told by a few colleagues, a few male colleagues, that I was not as professional as they were because I had kids and because I was a mom. And I was like, what does that have to do with anything? But I was just letting it get at me, and I was really upset, Mm -hmm. and I was talking about it with my husband, and he was like, well, why do you view yourself as a mom composer? I don't view you as a mom composer. You are a mom but you are also a composer. They are separate things. And I realized like I totally was allowing that perception of myself to get in the way of how I was talking to people about what I did. Mm. I can talk about my kids. I love my kids. They're great. But I love what I do also. And they can be separate parts of my life, even if they're happening under the same roof. And my perception of my you know, ability to take that potential further. So we have our own limiting perceptions of ourselves and of each other and of other people. And recognizing it is really important and after we do that then we are now open to being able to change that perception and now it might not be a huge drastic change and that's okay it took a long time for that bias to be created Mm. it's going to take just as long if not longer to get rid of that bias Mm. the point is that we're constantly working on it and that effort is continued right Um, we saw a lot of that with the me too movement And I remember when that was happening, I went to a panel um, and it was a female panel of women in the media industry. So that is film, entertainment, video games, TV, whatever is formed under that. And I was talking to one of the panel members and she said that her you know, we were talking about the Me Too movement and you know, isn't it so great that people are finally talking and that this is coming up and I mean it's sad for a lot of people we need to be careful that we're not using it as a weapon against men but that we're using it as a way to create safety for both men and women Mm -hmm. uh, in all situations and she said you know I really love it but I'm really worried that it's going to be a fad and that it's going to come up and it's going to flare up and it's going to create this huge noise and then it's going to die away and we're never going to talk about it again. And it's not actually going to do anything. 
hasn't completely died away, but I do see that where people are becoming, you know, that's the new complacent. That's just the new normal for people to, you know, hashtag me too. And it's like, oh yeah, okay. You know, it doesn't create as much noise as it used to. And it doesn't need to be jarring or grotesque to create change, but it needs to be something that we're persistently and consistently working on in order to allow that change to happen. And and then the third thing that we need to do is change the environments. We need to create environments where people are safe, where mm-hmm. people are heard, where people are involved, where they're given those opportunities in whatever respect that, that they are in. That can mean if you're having a conversation with a small group of people and there's one person who can't get a word in edgewise, you can change the environment and say, oh, what do you have to say about this? Mm-hmm. That alone just noticing that they're being talked over, allowing their voice to get out, that alone can change an environment. And that changed the environment, not just for one person, but for every Mm. single person who is involved in that conversation. And it will change it for the future conversations that they have because that creates awareness and it creates the change because you're not only, you're not blaming people and saying, hey, everyone, you're talking over this person, how rude. Stop being jerks. Right? <laughs> that doesn't create change. That creates animosity. Instead, is like, oh, I notice you haven't said it much. Do you have something that you want to say? That is an invitation that is inclusive to everyone involved. You know, so just looking for the opportunities wherever you are. You can start doing this right now, right? Mm. It's not something that you, you don't have to wait for somebody else to do it. We can do this now. And that is something that I think can start helping create the world where we want to be in, where everyone is involved and everyone is included and everyone feels represented. I think another thing also just to add to that is helping people from a young age see themselves in whatever they want to be, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I was inspired by a man to do what I'm doing. And I love him for it. And I've never met him. I've never met Alan Menken. Oh my goodness, I would die. That would be amazing. (laughs) But I have so much to thank him for because that's a big part of me and who I am in my life and what I've drove after because I saw him doing something amazing and I wanted to do that. There are a lot of people who feel like they can't follow after those things because they don't see themselves represented in those situations. So Mm -hmm. maybe another girl heard Alan Mangan and wanted to do it, but felt she couldn't Mm. because she didn't see women stepping up and doing the same thing. That's nothing bad against Alan Mangan. It's just the fact that we need to start celebrating everyone in those roles, no matter their gender, no matter their race, there should be no preference. It should just be this person is doing an awesome thing. Yeah. What they're doing and just make sure that that is happening equally to everyone who is doing those awesome things and just allowing that knowledge to become common knowledge will help people because it starts at such a young age when girls and boys realize that they're different from each other. I remember the first time my daughter came home. It was last year. She was in kindergarten. And I remember when she came home and told me that everything was girls versus boys and that only boys can do this and only girls can do that. And I was like, stop, 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 stop. You're five. You're five Mm -hmm. years old. Why do you think that you can't do that because you're a girl? Why do you think he can't do that because he's a boy? Like, he can do that and you can do whatever, like whatever the situation, mm-hmm. I don't even remember what things she was saying that she wanted to be. Like I remember when she was three, all she wanted to be when she grew up was a garbage man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
her noble profession. told her that she was a, going to be a woman, she was so angry. I was like, you can be a garbage woman. She's like, no, I want to be a garbage man. I was like, <laughs> okay, you can be a garbage man and you'll be super awesome woman being a garbage man. Like that is <laughs> fine. Like, you can do that if that's what you want to do, but know that you'll be a woman doing it and that's okay. Right. Um, and just allowing that to be an option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things for kids to realize it's an option. Like yeah, I think we need to make ago. everything more visible. Like mm-hmm. it's not visible for kids and for a lot of people the options that they actually have. And that's why we always talk about representation and being mm-hmm. seen so that people and kids can identify themselves and see themselves in roles that they haven't seen themselves before. And that's something that they can do as well. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of that is just us allowing ourselves to be seen. Don't hide what you're creating, whatever it is, yeah. whatever you are, whatever it is that you're making, share it with the world, allow it to be seen. Because not only will it change someone's life, because it will, Mm. every creation, every artistic creation, no matter what kind it is, no matter the medium, no matter the audience, someone in this world needs what you can make. But that also opens up possibilities for people to see, oh, I could do that. Like, I remember the first time realizing that someone made the music I was listening to behind a movie. That was a person doing that. Mm. Oh, my goodness. Like. Because I, I, I was pretty aware of the animation and that people animated the movies, right? That the pictures were created by people. I didn't realize that the music was made by a person. And then a few years after that, oh my goodness, the voices of those people in those movies, like, you know, I mean, like the cartoons, like there's a person behind that, like saying the voice too. Like, it's not just on the paper. Yeah, I mean, like those scenes need... You know, kids don't recognize that everything yeah. is real to a yeah. child. Yeah. And so when they realize those things, we want what we have created to allow them to say, I want to do that. Can I do that? And we don't want anything ever to say no. Mm-hmm. Because they might, I mean, they might do it. They might not do it. But if they are, if they think the answer is no. Yeah. Then we've already lost a battle towards bias. And we've already lost a battle that they're going to have to keep fighting when they're older. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We can prevent a lot of those battles now in their youth just by being someone there who says, yes, yes, you can. Just yeah. two weeks ago, my daughter, mom, I can be anything I want to when I grow up, right? And I'm just like, okay, this could be either really good or really bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> Some bad things will probably come out of this conversation, depending on what she thinks she wants to be when she grows up right now. But, uh, you know, I'm like, yes, you can be anything that you want to be. She goes, do I have to be just one thing? Do I have to pick just one? I was like, no, you don't have to pick just one thing. Oh, thank you. Good. I was so worried because it's such a hard choice, mom. I mean, I have to choose between being a teacher and a garbage truck driver and an astronaut and a ballet dancer and... (laughs) A chef, because I need to be a professional chef one day too, mom, and a business owner and a boss at a company and doing what daddy does, you know, and the list went on and on and on. Just all, like anything that she could think of. She's like, I didn't want to have to choose between all of those things. I'm like, oh, heavens no, please, you're six. 
don't choose. <laughs> not right now. Right? Not right now. And That's she amazing. Asks, she still asks me all the time, Mom, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm like, ooh, that is a harsh question. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it probably always will be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's funny, like, one of our family traditions that we have talking about different cultures and family cultures, traditions are a huge part of culture. And some of them are great traditions. Sometimes we need to recognize when traditions are not good and not mm. healthy. We need to break them and replace them with something else. Um, but one of the traditions that we have in our family is during the birthday week of everyone in our family, we watch the movie Hook with Robin um, and Dustin Hoffman. And I love watching that five times a year minimum, right? During the birthday weeks of each person in our family. I love watching it over and over and over again because it helps remind me I'm not grown up, mm -hmm. right? I don't have to be mm. grown up even though I'm in my thirties, mm. right? That's okay. It's never too late to go back to being a kid and it's never too late to go back to the basics of what is important and what are my priorities and am I putting those at the top? There's never a time limit on that within our lifetime, right? right? Our lifetime is the time limit. And so making the most of that and what we can is important. And so thinking about what I want to be when I grow up, like there's still things I want to be. I'm in my thirties. I am not done living. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel old, but you don't have to have it all together in your thirties. Let's no. just call that right now. Definitely you don't, don't, and it's okay. <laughs> Yeah. Don't feel like a failure because of it. It's so easy to feel like a failure because yeah, of it. The pressure is too big. <laughs> it is. It's huge. It's ginormous. We don't have to conform to that pressure. Yeah. And and so I've started thinking, like the first time that she asked me that, I was like, honey, I guess I'm doing it. Right? <laughs> Super terrible answer. I hated that answer. That was a really bad answer. I did not like it. I'm like, I need to change that answer. So every time she asks me this question, I get asked this question probably once every few weeks so every time i try to have a new answer for her and i try to be as real as possible right nice. what is something that i want to be that i'm not yet i want to be the best bread maker ever right like i want to learn how to make bread like cool let's do that let's practice making bread better um you know i want to be an award-winning composer that would be cool i'm not that thing yet you know i want to be you know, there's just so many things that a person can be, and yeah. it doesn't have to be a temporal thing either. Like, I want to be more patient when I grow up. <laughs> I'm just working on it right now. I want to be a better ally and companion to the people who feel like they don't have one. Mm. You know, whatever things, like, what do you want to be? That that can start happening now. It's And there's a lot of people in my industry, especially, I feel, there's so many people that are constantly asking, is it too late for me to become a composer? Because I feel like I'm starting too late. And, you know, there's people in their 30s who are asking this question. The other day, there was a kid who was 19 years old who thought he was too young to get it or too old to get into this industry, that he didn't get into it soon enough, and that he was automatically behind because mm -hmm. of his age. And I was yeah. just like, oh, man, like, I'm sorry that you kids. feel that kind of pressure. Yeah. Like, no, please write music. This world can never contain enough music. We need mm. more of it. Just create it. Mm. Even if you don't get that amazing contract job that you want, your music is needed. Um, yeah, but you also will get the contract if you don't do it. That's true. It's no. <laughs> so true. In order to get the contract, you need to be working at what you are able to do now and expanding 
those capabilities. Mm -hmm. We talked about potential. Everyone has the same potential, but our capabilities are determined by the actions we take to build them and expand them. But they're never too late. Like in that thread with that 19 year old, there were so many people who were like, I started this when I was in my 40s. I started this when I was in my 50s. Mm -hmm. There was a man who's like, I started this when I was 62. I am 64 and I'm loving it. Like, If it's don't a, put a timeline on your own dreams. Yeah. There's just no point to that. It just makes your dream very sad. It makes you sad. Don't be sad. Don't be sad is a good good, good life motto. Day. Yeah. Good life motto. <laughs> it is okay to be sad. Let's be clear. Being sad it does not make you a bad person. It does not mean something's wrong with you. We yeah. all get very sad frequently, right? Yeah. That's okay. Don't be the cause of your own sadness. And when you get sad, know that it'll get better and you can you can still find happiness. Like mm. it's not a definitive answer. When you feel sad, that's not the end. Every emotion you can ever feel. So Karina, you've given us a lot of words of wisdom on this show and it's been amazing. But if you could give like one piece of advice to a young geeky girl who wants to get involved with composing for music industries or or video gaming industries or composing for podcasts, what would you give them? Own who you are and love it. Like if if that's something that you want to do, don't be afraid to do it. It can be really, really scary. I, there have been times that I have gone into a room for an event and I am the only woman there. And that can be extremely intimidating, extremely intimidating because you never know what people are going to say. You never know what people are going to think. But if that's all that you think about is what they are thinking and what they are saying, you're doing it wrong. Like you're not going to enjoy yourself. It's not going to be a fun time and it's not going to be worthwhile. So you go in there and you own the room and you say, I am the only woman here. I am going to make sure that I am the best woman any of these men will have ever met at this event, you know, and you just, you just really need to get involved, but don't let people get in the way of you being involved. Like there's so many ways to be involved, even just online and online can be really toxic because people don't have accountability for Mm -hmm. what they say online and hurtful things happen a lot that is okay it's not okay that it happened but you are still okay is like the thing that i had to learn like i am still okay and like what they said doesn't actually change who i am or what i'm doing it changes their perception like their perception is what has changed mine has not my purpose still has not changed um you know get into um the igda the international game developers association or gang which is the game audio network guild look into organizations in your own local area here in utah one of the best organizations is uden utah digital entertainment network because it helps people of all different industries get together i started going to the uden things two years ago i think is when i started like really trying to get involved in local things like that and actually be there in person and i was always constantly worried about how i looked or what i was wearing and was i Formal enough? Was I too formal? Part of that is because of my classical piano background. I come from like concert black is what you do if you are professional, you know, and that is not the industry I'm in anymore. <laughs> Video game industry, nice clothes is like a clean shirt and some jeans. I, <laughs> so, like, you have to think about the culture. That is not what I like to wear at those events, but I have to remember, like, 
I'm in, like, I can be myself. I don't have to dress up for someone. I don't mm -hmm. have to conform to what they think I should look like or sound like or act like. I am there so that I can learn how to be a better creator. Get out of the mindset of only being able to consume things. You are not here as a woman just to consume what the world is creating for you. As human beings, we have an incredible creative force and power. We are the most creative beings on the planet. And that is one of the neatest things ever, to be able to say, I have the power to create what I want to create. And so many amazing things are happening. Become a creator. Be willing to create, even if you think no one will want it, mm -hmm. right? Your worth as a creator is not dependent on how many consumers are there for your product. It is not dependent on how many likes or retweets or shares you get. It does not matter how many subscribers you have. I have had my YouTube channel for a year and a half, and I have just over 100 subscribers, I think. It's very low. I was super excited when I got 100 subscribers. It took me a year to get there. And I was super excited. And then one of my friends, who's also a composer, was like, hey, I started this YouTube channel. It's been two weeks and I have a thousand subscribers. I'm like, awesome, right? <laughs> but my worth as a creator does not need to be compared to his popularity or mm -hmm. his worth as a creator because my creative art is mine, mm -hmm. right? He can't create what I create just because he is not me. Mm -hmm. And this is something that's really hard to differentiate sometimes and jealousy is real and envy is real and I understand them because I feel them often that's okay right accept the emotions but don't let them define you because mm -hmm. this world needs what you have to create and we need you to become a creator of amazing things whatever it is that you have to create and so ignore the naysayers sometimes we have to talk with the naysayers and it's annoying but you know you just got to stand up to it and say I'm doing this because I believe in it mm. and you don't get to tell me what I believe and you don't get to tell me what I can and cannot create because there's a, a, a Netflix documentary type show called abstract. I really highly encourage everyone to watch it. It was amazing. Lots of different artists and designers in different types of fields, be it architecture or poster design or there's Nike shoe design on there, you know, just lots of different people. I wish it was longer, but one of the people that they interviewed that they had an episode on, can't remember her name right now, which is terrible, but she is seen as one of the um, most forward-thinking people in her field. And something that she said is that she is motivated by the fact that she has yet to create her best work. Mm -hmm. And she's created things that have changed her industry. And that's not her best work because she has more to create and she has more to give. So do you. So does everybody. Mm -hmm. So don't stop giving what you have, I guess, is what I would say the most. Wow. Thank you so much, Karina, for this interview with you. Um, this, Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm actually speechless because yeah. <laughs> you've, you've given so much incredible insight into your in your industry but not just that into your life 
as a woman and your experiences as a woman. And it has, well, it's well and truly blown me away. So thank you. Thank you for coming on our show. Thank you. I'm honored to be here on your show. I love everything that you guys are doing with this. And so I'm so happy to be a part of it. So many awesome words of wisdom, as Amanda already said, for everybody who's listening, that it doesn't always have to be about competing with each other, but working with each other on Mm -hmm. a better world for everyone. And not just for the geek girls out there, but for the geek guys too. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. And it takes time. Like, be patient with it. Be patient with us as people. It takes time to get there, but... It took a long time to get here, so it will take quite some time to get out of here, but it's we're taking the right steps, I feel. So we're getting there, we're getting there. Yeah, and just don't give up with it. Like, keep going. It's definitely worth it, especially, like, in order to enjoy our geek lives... (laughs) or our lives in whatever respect we have them in like don't don't put off what brings you joy yeah yeah like preach don't, it. <laughs> yeah don't don't wait to be accepted in order to enjoy what you love doing mm. oh i love let that. it let it be part of your daily life right you don't need to i mean gatekeeping is a huge thing and it's a sad thing but it happens everywhere mm. i think it happens in every industry my sister is a mechanical engineer you know nice people constantly tell her that she doesn't belong because of her gender mm. in mechanical engineering right at an yeah. hvac company she and and she rocks it and she does great and she hates you know the looks that they give her or there was one time when she was like karina i've been having a hard time at work because like i mean she's the only female in her not only on her team but in the entire company She's mm-hmm. the first female hire from the company. And it's a large company. And so she was like, I think I'm just taking it too personally, but they keep calling me the girl and it's just really annoying. And I should probably just let it go. I was like, Shaylee, a girl is like 10 years old. You are a woman. Mm-hmm. You should not be called the girl because you are a woman. Own being a woman. She was like, Oh my gosh, you're right. Like, I am a woman. They need to treat me like I am a woman and not a child. I was like, that is what needs to be happening right now. And she talked to them about it and it was hard, but it improved. They don't call her the girl anymore. She Things still happen that she doesn't like, you know, but she didn't wait for them to stop. We can't always wait for it to change. You have to do what you love before you're accepted into it sometimes in order for people to realize that you deserve to be accepted, that you are Mm. a part of that culture Mm. in whatever it is that you're doing now. You don't have to play certain types of games in order to be a gamer. There was a post that I saw the other day on Twitter that I laughed so hard where someone, um, I don't know the gender of this person and it doesn't even matter, but they were like, I was told that because I don't play Fortnite, I'm not a real gamer. So glad that's off my chest and I don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> and I just started dying because there's so many video games that I don't play. Yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't like, who cares what games I do or do not play? Like I am a gamer because that is what I love to do. And that yeah. is one way that I love to identify myself as. And if you like playing Fortnite, awesome. Play Fortnite. Like yeah. my husband plays World of Warcraft. 
I do not. I do not like playing World of Warcraft. I will sit and I will watch him play World of Warcraft sometimes. Yeah. I like I like helping him create his characters in World of Warcraft, and then he's like, so do you want to play it now? I'm like, nope. <laughs> right? But we can all still enjoy what we enjoy together, even if it's not all the same thing. Yeah. Awesome. So where can our listeners find you at if they want to get a hold of you? I'd love to chat. <laughs> as you can see, I love to chat. Um, I promise I won't be as talkative if you message me or anything. But um, you can find me on pretty much any social media platform. You can search Koi Compositions, C-O-Y Compositions. And that's my Twitter handle. That's my Facebook business page. That's my YouTube channel and my SoundCloud page. Um, I also have a Patreon page where you can support me and my music making endeavor to get better sounds and to eventually be able to support a website so that it's all in one place. Um, and that's patreon.com slash Koi Compositions. Um, and you get free music from me every month if you are part of that. Um, and along with other goodies, I do a creative tips channel that my patrons get early access to. So if you like these words of wisdom, but you want them a lot shorter, <laughs> the two minute segments <laughs> not what the creative tips are you can email me too if you, if you want music or want to talk about music or have any questions about what we talked about today in any regard you can message me on facebook or you can email me my email is pardus.carina at gmail.com um my name is p-a-r-d-u-s and it's k-a-r-i-n-a but i'm willing to talk to anyone who has something to say Awesome. Let me know. <laughs> and we'll put all those details in the show notes so you can find them with ease. Yes. Perfect. Fantastic. Cool. Well, thank you again, Karina, for being on the show. Thanks so much. You. Thanks for creating this amazing show. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> you so good at taking compliments. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. You're right. <laughs> Speaking of new creations, um, Geek Herring's website has officially launched today. Yay! All of Monica's hard work. Um, you can find that over on geekherring.com, where you will also find our limited edition Cyber Monday sale t-shirt, taking us all back to our inner 90s rap child. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Where, yes, we are all geeky by nature. <laughs> Instead of naughty by nature, because who doesn't get down with OPP? <laughs> I have no idea what you're saying, but sure. I love it though. <laughs> and lastly, we have a new review on iTunes from Phydria. Take it away, Monica. Whoop whoop. Geek Herring takes a look at the world of geek in a critical way, while keeping conversation engaging and welcoming. I think it's a really important movement to continue to talk about feminism in a way that educates and gets somebody to stop and think about the impact of actions of words in both positive and negative circumstances. Geek Herring does just that. Amanda and Monica have amazing chemistry together and it makes every episode an enjoyable listen. I'm looking forward to following your journeys, guys. Keep it up. So thanks, Phydria. <laughs> Thank Fire you, Fidria. Amazing review. And of course, listeners, if you'd like to leave us an iTunes review, we will probably read it out on the show, so that would be most welcome. 
That's all we have for you today. As always, you can find us at Geek Herring on all social media, including Patreon and the new website, geekherring.com. Thanks again, Karina, for being on the show, and we will talk to everyone again next week. If you like this episode of Geek Herring, why not leave us an iTunes review? You can also find us on social at Geek Herring and over on geekherring.com. This show is brought to you by Dragon Powered Studio. Find more at dragonpoweredstudio.com.